so we've told you to go home and practice a lot. We've also told you to drink alcohol, but (laughs) we're not saying to just be alone and drinking, drunk at home practicing. (laughs) From the Newman Vertical Campus in New York City, this is Just To Be Clear, a podcast by the Tools for Clear Speech program at Baruch College and the City University of New York. Welcome to episode three of Just To Be Clear, the podcast produced by the Tools for Clear Speech program at Baruch College. I'm Kim Edmonds, recording at Baruch's campus in New York City. On every episode of Just To Be Clear, we explore an important question about second language oral communication. If someone asked you how many languages you're fluent in, do you know what you'd say? Would you hesitate at all or have to think about it? Maybe you'd wonder what exactly it means to be fluent. We had the same question. There's an everyday meaning for fluency, that you speak a language really well, but there's also a meaning for fluency in second language acquisition, and that definition is more specific. That's what episode three of Just To Be Clear is all about. What is fluency, how do you teach it, and how do you get it? We have two contributors on today to talk about fluency, TFCS speech consultant Carolyn saylor Loof and Professor Alan Kennedy of the American Language Program at Columbia University. Later, the myth-busting segment is back, with a critique of claims that you can get fluent in a specific amount of time. And finally, we're going to talk to Baruch student Megumi Okubo to find out about what brought her here to New York and Baruch, about her favorite scuba diving spots, and about her idea to establish a subfield of psychology. Stay tuned. So I'm joined here by one of my fellow speech consultants here at TFCS, Carolyn saylor Loof. Hi, Carolyn. Hi, Kim. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Of course. And so we are going to be talking about fluency, as I just said. So Carolyn, why are we doing this? Well, because fluency is a major goal for learners and thus teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems to be an often neglected part of the language classroom, perhaps mm. because people really don't know how to improve fluency. There aren't really any books on it like right. there are for the other skills, grammar and reading and writing. Right. Mm-hmm. So we thought it would be really helpful to both learners and teachers to figure out concrete ways that we can improve fluency. Exactly. And so um, the first step in that process is trying to define fluency, actually. And we actually had a a relatively hard time figuring that out at first. That's right. I mean, you hear the word often, oh, he's fluent in Spanish, he's fluent in English. Well, Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. does that mean? I mean, Mm -hmm. I think commonly it means fully functional. Oh, is he fluent? Oh, yeah. It Mm -hmm. means, yeah, he's completely proficient. Mm -hmm. But I looked it up in the dictionary. According Mm -hmm. to the dictionary, it says the ability to express oneself easily and articulately. Hmm. Mm, This is just a sort of regular dictionary out there for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So those those sort of two definitions, you know, how it's commonly understood, maybe something from a dictionary. But then we also have to think about how is it defined in the field of applied linguistics? Right. So we've done a a little bit of research, um, but we realize it's actually not as simple of a question Mm -hmm. as maybe we thought. So we thought we might ask an expert. And the expert that we asked um, was named Alan Kennedy, and he is a full-time lecturer in the American Language Program at Columbia University. And we first met Alan through a presentation that he made on the topic of fluency. And so when Carolyn and I were thinking about 
um, who to bring on for this podcast to bring in some more expertise. We thought this would be a great uh, person to bring on. He did a presentation with our colleague, Tristan. Uh, so we're really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, you're very welcome. So um, in our research about fluency, we realized that we really don't know how to define it. Mm. Um, so that's our main question to you. And our first question is, how do you define fluency? Well, in my research on fluency, um, I read lots of different definitions. It, it's kind of hard to pinpoint, actually. So there's not so much agreement about exactly what it is. But the definition that resonated the most with me was the one presented by Derwing and Monroe, who are two researchers from Canada who've done a lot of research on mm -hmm. pronunciation, teaching, and learning. Um, and they called it the rate and degree of fluidity of speech as signaled by the presence or absence of hesitation markers, self-repetitions, and filled or unfilled pauses. Um, and the reason that I like that is that it talks about what is, or it refers to what needs to be present for speech to sound fluent and also mm -hmm. Uh, what might be absent, which contributes to mm -hmm. the perception of, of a disfluency. Right. Well, I've got two questions for that. Mm -hmm. One is, how is that definition different than fluidity? Well, in uh, Derwing and Monroe's definition, they're using fluidity as kind of a subset of fluency. So I think the idea is that fluency is a, is a bigger concept. Uh, that you're able to express yourself readily and effortlessly in a language. And fluidity is maybe more how smoothly you're able to speak. Um, but to my mind, they're, they're really not the same thing. I think, for example, a person could be fluent in English but have a stutter. And we would say he's not, he has no fluidity, but he's fluent. So fluent involves what it is that you know about the language in addition to how it sounds when you deliver it. So... It fluency equals fluidity plus some degree of accuracy then? Accuracy, or I would phrase it differently than accuracy. Mm -hmm. I would say it includes fluidity and it also includes the ability to express yourself readily and easily. Maybe it's not 100% accurate. Maybe the grammar's right. not perfect. Maybe it's not exactly the right word for the idea you're trying right. to express, but it's coming out of your mouth in a natural smooth fashion, right. that's the fluidity, and you have enough proficiency in the language to be able to do that right. without pauses, hesitations, false starts, repetitions, all of the things that make someone sound less fluent. Right, and, and let's say a speaker perhaps had um, very good intonation and rhythm, mm -hmm. that might really make them sound more fluent yeah. and sort of compensate for deficiencies they have, whether it's with hesitation or pausing or overall accuracy yeah um, for sure yeah um, there's been some research done on people who are um, let's say generation 1.5 Americans for example mm. who are very fluent and everybody would say yes they're fluent uh, not just you know the average sort of layperson but even a language instructor or an mm -hmm. applied linguist but they don't have a large vocabulary they can't write an academic essay they don't know low-frequency words. Right. Um, and that's what makes fluency different from proficiency. Right. So I've, we've had a lot of students who have said things like, you know, I always have to translate from my first language before I speak. When you say that a language comes to you readily and easily, is that kind of what you're saying? You don't have to go yes. through that step? So um, 
if you read any research on fluency, they're always going to use the word automatic and they're always going to use the word procedural. Mm -hmm. So someone who's speaking their second language by translating from their first, that shows to me a lack of fluency. Mm -hmm. I would think it would be impossible to be very fluent yeah. if you're stuck in translating from one to exactly. the other. Exactly, yeah. because the automaticity is not there. I was also thinking of another measure to, about connected speech. Mm -hmm. Does that give, how much does that have to do with fluency? Well, there was a, there was a study done about the relationship between connected speech and fluency. Uh, a researcher named Heike, who found that it's a reliable indicator of how fluent a speaker is if they can employ connected speech. So the example given was instead of saying, I see a black cat, if someone says, I see a black cat, mm -hmm. and they're connecting the, the k consonant at the end of the one word to the beginning of the next word, that is an indicator of fluency. And people perceive it as such. Right. So when, you, when you're able to con do connected speech in a natural way, um, the perception that your listener has is that you are more fluent. Um, also what teachers can do is to teach um, what's called thought groups, mm -hmm. which is whenever we speak a language, especially English, I'm doing it right now, mm -hmm. we speak in phrases, we yes. chunk our language. Right. And if we train our students to be able to produce in these thought groups, mm -hmm. they, studies have shown, for example, um, by Wennerstrom in the year 2000, mm -hmm. um, those findings suggest that the production of appropriate thought groups mm -hmm. will lead to the perception of being more fluent. Exactly. And also being more intelligible, like you said. Exactly. So it's really a great strategy. And we have some suggestions and some practice on thought groups on our website for TFCS if you guys want to go check that out. So I'm thinking about some of the things that we want to discuss later in the episode, particularly what we might say to learners, you know, to students who feel like they're struggling with their fluency. Mm. Um, what do you say to your students when they come to you and say, I just want to be fluent, I just want to be fluent, and I'm really struggling? Well, I'm a strong believer in what they call the two, three, four method, which mm. was something I presented at the conference that you were both at. Yeah, I remember. Um, basically, the idea there is you ask someone to to repeat the same thing, but under uh, increasingly limited time constraints. Mm -hmm. And what you generally find is that they become more fluent with each retelling of whatever it is. In, mm -hmm. in the case of what I did with my students, it was picture stories with no text at all. Mm -hmm. And they just had to look at a sequence of pictures um, and then retell the sort of story that mm -hmm. they saw. Mm -hmm. And you do see students getting more and more fluent with each go. Mm -hmm. and. What that achieves is uh, the student has the experience of being more fluent than they normally are. They get to feel the feeling of being a fluent speaker of mm -hmm, English, mm -hmm. which is not a feeling that they normally have when they're using English. Yeah. And that inspires confidence in them, um, I think. And that's the most valuable takeaway mm -hmm. from a lesson like that, because obviously just because you can get to the point where you can retell a picture story very fluently, that doesn't necessarily mean that it has a lasting impact on your use of your L2 yeah. you know, in all situations. Uh -huh. It probably doesn't. But it does give you the experience of having felt fluent, mm -hmm. which is a confidence builder yes. and which maybe can free you up generally from being, you know, hesitant or holding yourself back or being overly concerned about uh, accuracy, things yeah. that I think contribute to fluency. 
Mm. Um, yeah, we're planning yeah. to speak later about the sort of psychological barriers that exist. I mean, mm -hmm. you were saying people can be very proficient in their mind, mm -hmm. but there's a variety of reasons it can't come out, and those can be right. all sorts of cultural um, mm -hmm. factors, you know, fear, mm -hmm. um, the over-monitoring of everything they say. So if they get that confidence and that experience of what it's like to speak fluently, right. that should go a long way. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was learning Spanish back in high school and college, and I really only ever learned Spanish in a classroom setting, which is not ideal. You know, we like to be able to get out into a like an immersive environment. But a lot of what I did was um, kind of narrate things to myself. Mm -hmm. um, even you know, when I was just alone, or I would do it in my head, or I would translate in my head. And I think mm -hmm. um, a lot of that helped me because, kind of going back to what you were saying, Alan, about, you know, generating or developing um, automaticity and procedural knowledge or procedural memory, mm -hmm. um, it's strengthening those connections. You know, if you um, think of the brain as a series of networks, you know, and your second language being a network that you're building, um, the more often that you um, use those networks, mm -hmm. the stronger and sort of more robust they're going to become. And so it's, right. it becomes more automatic. You don't have to think, okay, what would I say, you know, in Thai? Or what would I say in Spanish before you try to bring it out into English? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Mm -hmm. um, repetition is really important uh, mm -hmm. for fluency building. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe why it gets neglected in the ESL classroom, because teachers, you know, sort of feel like their main goal is to help people communicate ideas. And the idea of repeating something over and over again feels like it's directly at odds with the goal of communicating new things. Um, yeah. But the truth is that, you know, in order to really be fluent, you have to feel like you're saying something that you've said before and you right, know right. that what you're saying is the right way to say that certain thing mm -hmm. and you know that gives you the confidence to to be to have more fluidity and more fluency and you can really tell that because you know um if you're a beginner language learner, you're, you're intermediate level or something like that, you know, what are the things that come out automatically without you having to think, hi, how are you? My name is blah. Mm -hmm, Those things mm -hmm. that you've said again and again and again. Right. And when you say repetition, you don't mean necessarily something like saying a single word over and over again. No. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, for example, teaching chunks is, is I, I'm a strong believer in that, mm -hmm. you know, um, teaching very common segments of English mm -hmm. that you could use in your writing or your speaking yeah mm -hmm. and then you know saying it over and over again to the point where it comes out naturally mm -hmm. um, I think as teachers we've all had students who are not so fluent but then they'll say one little thing that sounds really fluent and it's because maybe they've practiced it a lot or mm -hmm. uh, it's something to do with their field that they're studying mm -hmm. and um, you know maybe you've had this experience too where you, you have a student who's more fluent when they're talking about their major mm -hmm. than when they're talking about anything else in English. Right, or more fluent when they're talking about a topic they know about yeah. rather than having to, you know, think of whatever they want to say right. afresh or anew. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. huge. And what you were saying about how you would practice Spanish sort mm -hmm. of in your own mind, mm -hmm. I always tell my students, go home, you're in the shower, nobody can hear you, and just speak to yourself, mm -hmm. but out loud, because mm -hmm. also your mouth needs that practice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing to say it in your head, it's another thing to actually say it out loud. I think that's a great, that's great advice. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny that you said that I am also a Spanish speaker, and mm -hmm. I did the same thing. 
Hmm. I would walk down the street and silently in my head be talking to myself in Spanish. Yeah, right. And I definitely think it helped my fluency. Yeah, and it takes a lot of Because it's a kind of repetition. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have an interlocutor to to practice repetition. When you say interlocutor, you mean a speaker. Another person that you're talking talking to to and listening to. You don't have to. Well, in fact, the pressure is off when you're alone because Mm -hmm. then you can practice that fluency because Mm -hmm. you're not worried about anything, right? Mm -hmm. So you have no fear to make mistakes and that really gives you the the opportunity to experiment with the language and and get used to being fluent yeah um maybe you know about a a study that probably they wouldn't allow today well maybe they would i don't Mm -hmm. know in the 70s where they administered alcohol to the subjects and then asked them to speak their second language and they were more fluent yeah (laughs) that's one of our tips that we're going to bring up later yeah the conclusion was you know not that being tipsy makes you more fluent, but it's that what you just said, Carolyn, about lowering your inhibitions, right? When your inhibitions are lowered and you're not as uh, Mm self-conscious, you can allow yourself to maybe not speak perfectly, but just go for it. And what's amazing is, I mean, having done that several times, um, Mm -hmm. speaking another language while having a drink or two, is it's amazing to hear what's coming out of your mouth because all of a sudden you can find all the words that you couldn't find before you had a drink Mm. in that other language. I mean, it's like your proficiency gets so much better as well. Yeah, Yeah. it's very interesting. But I mean, of course we can't advise our students to go and drink, but um, we can (laughs) advise them, we can tell them about it, and we can say, do you see what stress reduction does then? Yeah, right? and, and relaxing. Uh, and your... let's be clear: there are many ways to reduce exactly. that barrier right. other than alcohol. Exactly. Right. Um, including having a classroom, which has you know, where the teacher has set the atmosphere or set the tone right. that this is a safe place to experiment, right. to right. not be perfect, and the most important thing is to just to go Get for it, it. Out. Yeah, right. to talk, mm-hmm. to allow them to just feel comfortable. Um, you know, among their peers, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the teacher who's, you know, not judgmental. Often you'll have a student who's really a, a good student who's used to getting good grades, let's say, and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they're in a language class and they don't want to talk because they know that it won't be perfect. And they only want to do things in the classroom that are A, student things. Right. Perfect. Yeah. And you know, I've had students like that. I'm sure both of you have as well. And then you really have to say to them, look, it's okay if your grammar is not perfect. It's okay if you're not using exactly the right word. You you have to just talk. Mm-hmm. There's no other way to get better at speaking your target language mm. than by talking. There's no shortcut. And if it's not perfect, it's okay. Right. Right, exactly. Um, all right. So I think that, you know, just to wrap up here, you know, this has been really helpful, really learned a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully all the listeners have too. But maybe just to sort of sum up again, what definition of fluency that you would recommend um, that teachers keep in mind when they're focusing on this skill in their classrooms and maybe something, you know, that would be accessible to the learners as well? Yeah. Okay. So I think that fluency involves the presence of certain things and the and or the idea of how fluent you are involves the presence and also the absence of certain things. Mm-hmm. What should be present in a speaker who is fluent is utterances that are of a certain length. Mm-hmm. Um, what a teacher can do to encourage that is if a student gives a one word answer to a question, say, no, I want to hear it in a sentence. 
Mm. Or tell me more about that. Or what else can you say about that? Mm -hmm. So constantly encouraging the student to produce more. Yeah. Not just a word, but a phrase. Or maybe not just a phrase, but several sentences or a paragraph. Um, And in terms of what uh, you want to try to get rid of is those pauses, those hesitations, those uh, silent periods. Mm -hmm. So fluency involves utterances of a natural length where the full idea is being fully communicated in a Mm -hmm. way that sounds easy Mm -hmm. and the absence of pauses, false starts, repetitions, and things like that. Great. That's really great and really helpful. Um, Carolyn, unless you have anything else you wanted to add? No, not at this point. Thank you so much, Alan, for All coming right. in yeah, today. You're, you're welcome. Thank you. secret to getting fluent quickly? Is there one method, technique, or trick that will unlock this ability within a relatively short amount of time? There are quite a few resources out there who have something or other to say about getting fluent. I did some googling and looked into a handful of resources or individuals who use the word fluency or fluent in their website names, course titles, book titles, or YouTube videos. I decided to critique some of them. The handful I picked seem to be some of the most popular in terms of subscriptions, views, and search engine visibility. I've synthesized my critique of these sources into a few things that I think are generally not good and a few things that I think are generally good. Let's start with the not good. The first observation I made is that most of these sources don't make a meaningful distinction between overall proficiency and fluency. That's not necessarily a bad thing since, as we discussed earlier, that's how most people think of fluency. But if you're a learner looking specifically for fluency improvement, as we've defined it on this podcast, you want to be aware of whether or not a resource is actually targeting it. Another issue with these resources is that none provide a clear evidence base for their method, technique, or claim. There's quite a bit of research available on what works and what doesn't, so for there to be no reference to any of it is suspicious. If these methods are based on the creator's qualifications and experience, those qualifications should be front and center. But in most cases, they're not. So this left me wondering, why should I believe you? Another issue I noticed is that basically all of these resources specifically target intermediate to advanced learners. Nation and Newton, in their 2008 book, Teaching ESL and EFL Listening and Speaking, note that fluency development is important for learners at all levels, including beginners. That's when you can begin to build automaticity and comfort with chunks of language, freeing up your attention for new and complex language later on. It's misleading to imply or say that beginners can't or shouldn't focus on fluency too. Lastly, only about half of the resources I looked into had any focused work on grammar at all. In fact, at least one source said you don't need to learn grammar explicitly in the early stages of acquiring a language. But grammar is an important part of proficiency, which, as we just learned, is an important part of fluency. Without any command of a language's grammar patterns, you might become fluid, but what you say will probably not make sense. And what's the point of a high level of fluidity if you can't communicate? All right, now here are some good things I noticed when I was critiquing these resources. First of all, once you get past the title or headline, most will ultimately make it clear that it's not possible to go from zero ability in a language to fluent. 
that is proficient in a relatively short amount of time, like a few months. Some of them even say that there is no magic formula or number at all, and yet they certainly want you to use their materials and not someone else's. Still, this is realistic, and it's good that there aren't too many immediately obvious false claims. Also, all of these resources emphasize confidence and willingness to take risks as essential to improving English, or whatever second language you're studying. We talk about this a lot in episode 2 of Just To Be Clear. If you don't get out of your comfort zone with using English, you won't improve proficiency, fluency, anything. Lastly, a few of the resources I critiqued did have concrete, useful suggestions for improving fluency. One, called Speak English with Tiffany on YouTube, gave a framework for mentally organizing conversation topics, which could help reduce cognitive load when trying to speak spontaneously. So hopefully, after listening to episode three of Just To Be Clear, you have a better idea of what fluency really is, and what kinds of activities and practice will actually help to improve it. You can use this knowledge to make informed decisions about what language learning resources to use in the future. And remember, your fluency might be limited by your inhibitions or fears, by a lack of experience, or by a need for more vocabulary and grammar knowledge, or maybe even by the topics you want to talk about. So start by trying to identify what you need, and then evaluate whether or not a tip or trick might help you. To wrap up, it's important to think of fluency as an ongoing process and not as a prize that you can get. Fluency is something that's continuously improved relative to your own progress as you gain confidence and language knowledge and as you practice talking about a whole range of things. Be patient and you'll get better every day. We're joined on episode three by Baruch international student Megumi Okubo. Megumi is from Tokunoshima, Japan, and she's been living in New York for the past three and a half years. She's studying psychology at Baruch, and she hopes to one day establish a new subfield that explores the connection between the individual and the environment. I started off by asking Megumi what brought her to New York. One of the things she mentioned was a desire to experience new and novel environments. I found out she's an avid and experienced traveler. Wow. Yeah. Do you do a lot of um, traveling when you can? Yes. I I traveled more than 30 countries. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. For fun or for business or? Both. What's been your most memorable place, your favorite place? Um, my hobby is scuba diving. What? Yes. That's so cool. So I went to uh, Australia and I dove the Great Barrier Reef. Yes, super beautiful. I met many, <laughs> many, a variety of creatures. It's a colorful, so beautiful gold, pink, blue, wow. green. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm I dove very more jealous. Than 100 times. Wow. Okay, how many hours of diving do you need to get certified? Or what is, what is involved in getting certified? First, swimming test. Mm. Next, paper test. Mm -hmm. And the third, um, how to say, put the equipment and uh, go to the sea. A friend of mine is also scuba certified. Mm -hmm. But it's it's interesting because she has asthma, Mm -hmm. like a breathing problem. So she had to get a special, she had to work extra hard. Oh. I don't. It was she had, she had to do extra hours and get special permission to be able to to do diving because normally mm-hmm. that would limit you. Scuba diving can 
um, how to, uh, even disability people, I'm a disability, have uh, my leg. When I was in high school, I did a rhythm gymnastic. I broke my leg. Even the, we have any trouble in my body, but we can do a scuba diving. That's really awesome. I didn't, I didn't know that. You yeah. think about scuba diving as being I so know. intense. Yeah, usually people, unbelievable. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So 30 countries you've traveled to. So traveling, scuba diving. <laughs> Talking people read a lot of books. Now I read. Can I? Yeah. This one. Capitalism. <laughs> Crack Capitalism yeah. by John Holloway. I just inspired my friend last, last night's talking. So I'd like to have a... Uh, I had a curiosity about mm-hmm. the capitalism. The question of revolution is not how to destroy capitalism, but how to stop creating it and do something sensible instead. Yeah. So when you're not scuba diving, you're <laughs> revolutionizing <laughs> the economy. Yes. Oh I God. have a lot of interest and curiosity. And, yeah. That's really great. Speaking of other things that, that, that motivate you, that interest you, when and why did you start learning English? Obviously, you've, you have to speak English here in the city. Although, do you, is there a Japanese-speaking community that you know about or a part of at all? Honestly, no. Mm. So I started my English study uh, since I came here yeah. three and a half years ago. Wow. Yeah. Did you, so you didn't study it in Japan much or at all? Of course, academically, so yeah, yeah I did, but <laughs> completely forgot it. I start everything from the beginning, <laughs> like the grammar, grammar things, mm. grammar things, and uh, try to read the book. And uh, at the same time, I try to uh, expand my vocabulary category. I really like to talk with people, but sometimes I couldn't understand. I cannot understand what they said. But I don't want to, how to say, stop our communication. Oh. Sometimes I do a fake nodding. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, I don't understand. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But I want to communicate. Yeah. This is my enthusiasm and effort. But um, for a while, I keep listening Including step by step, I understand what they want to say, and I can reply. Also, this is my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. I think so. People um, stop to practice or uh, speak out English, so they um, feel how to say um, they are unsure. So if my understanding is okay or not, or my phrase is okay or not, they start to focus by myself. Yeah. Yeah, that is the afraid or scary stop the conversation. But stop the conversation, you will miss the opportunity to learn or listen or yeah, speak English. Yeah. That's really good advice. I think it's something that a lot of students that we see, they struggle with that. I think so. Sometimes it's need to make an effort, intentionally make an effort. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I still seek the good way or yeah, good way of the practice English. Mm. So if there are any advice, so I'd like to, uh, I always welcome the advice from people and uh, including our listeners. If, yeah, if, you, if you guys see me at the campus, please feel free to say, hey, I have a good advice. 
Okay, nice. <laughs> so it's an open, open yeah, invitation. Open, yeah, we need to share. We international students, yeah, sharing knowledge and improve our, yeah. That's a great idea. Maybe we should start an Instagram series mm. where people give their advice. I think that idea was very good because so mm. I see the Instagram and mm. I can say it's it's a how to say a good trigger to start conversation mm. hey i saw your instagram how oh. are you like this it's nice to know that people find it useful um thank you so much megumi for coming you're welcome i Always. appreciate it so is fluency what you thought it was did you learn anything new or surprising Personally, I found it useful to think of fluency in terms of the presence of some things, like automaticity and adequate language knowledge, and the absence of some things, like unnatural pauses or restarts. Being able to split fluency out into different features makes it easier to define achievable goals. You might be starting to notice a pattern in the kinds of advice we give on Just To Be Clear. We talk a lot about getting out of your comfort zone, setting specific goals, and taking small steps toward what you want to achieve. Megumi also put it well when she said, it's important to intentionally make an effort. You have to make an effort to speak to others in your second language, especially when it comes to improving fluency. You may not think so, but other people, especially other learners, might want to talk too. So starting the conversation is the hardest part, but once you start, it gets easier. To help start some conversations, we're thinking of starting that Instagram series that Megumi and I talked about, so follow us at TFCS Baruch to check it out. If you're a teacher, we hope this episode gave you some good ideas for how to incorporate fluency building into your classrooms, and for how to talk about it with your students. We created an example 432 speaking exercise for fluency building, if you'd like to check it out and try it with your students. It's linked beneath the episode on jtbc.baruch.cuny.edu. And if you have other ideas that you've used, we'd love to hear about them. Send us an email via the feedback form on that site. We'd like to give a special thanks to Alan Kennedy from the Columbia University American Language Program for his appearance on this episode. This is the Just To Be Clear podcast, produced by the Tools for Clear Speech Program at Baruch College in New York City. Join us next time for our fourth episode. And just to be clear, we appreciate you listening. See you next time. Just to be clear is brought to you by Baruch College of the City University of New York and by the Joseph Drown Foundation, whose goal is to assist individuals in becoming successful, self-sustaining, contributing citizens. The foundation is particularly interested in programs that break down any barrier that prevents a person from continuing to grow and learn. More at jdrown.org. Supplementary and educational materials, including archived episodes and worksheets for students, can be found at jtbc.baruch.cuny.edu. More information about the Tools for Clear Speech program can be found at tfcs.baruch.cuny.edu. Just To Be Clear is recorded at Baruch College's Newman Vertical Campus, 55 Lexington Avenue in New York City. Original music for Just To Be Clear is written, recorded, and produced by Colby Hamilton. Supplemental materials were created by TFCS speech consultant Michelle Kaplan. Thank you.